Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Estella with a word in edgewise. Today is the 10th of February, meaning we have a nice round number of days, 325 of them, remaining in this leap year of 2020. As we move along in this relatively young month of a new year and a new decade, Mother Nature continues to afford us humans many of the ecological accoutrements she has for millennia. Who would argue, for example, with the ancient Romans finding February as the month of purification? The past few days have provided us with the best of purifying meteorology. Freezing rain, sleet, and snow falling upon anything exposed and locking it in place, so that we cannot escape contemplating our relation to these implacable forces, and therefore at least suspect that we are not ultimately in control of our existence. Yesterday, February's full moon, also known as the snow moon, the hunger moon, and the storm moon, occurred at 2.34 in the morning. It is the fourth closest and thus fourth largest full moon of 2020, although astronomical commentators disagree as to whether it should be called a supermoon, some of them holding that a supermoon's center needs to be less than 223,694 miles from the center of the Earth which February's full moon is not. Tonight to the west, 70 minutes after sunset, Mercury reaches its greatest eastern elongation from the sun and is visible just below Venus. Today, 30 years ago, one of the great luminaries of the late 20th century was about to shine brightly again when South African President F.W. de Klerk announced that Nelson Mandela, who had been incarcerated since 1962, would be freed the next day. Today, 66 years ago, President Dwight Eisenhower, who had been in office a little over a year, warned against United States intervention in Vietnam. The year before, early in 1953, briefly as Eisenhower had been inaugurated, the French had asked Eisenhower for assistance in French Indochina against the Chinese-supplied communists. Eisenhower subsequently sent Lieutenant General John W. Iron Mike O'Daniel to Vietnam to check out the scene. Soon, Chief of Staff Matthew Ridgway had presented the president with a comprehensive estimate of the considerable military deployment necessary and hence dissuaded him from intervening. Nonetheless, Eisenhower provided France with bombers and non-combat personnel with which the French achieved no success, so the president sent additional aircraft to drop napalm for land-clearing purposes, though those measures also achieved no real gain for the French, who were steadily being defeated by the Vietnamese communists. Despite urgings from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the vice president, and the head of the National Clandestine Service, also known as the Directorate of Plans for the CIA, Eisenhower refused to intervene and instead formed CETO, the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, an alliance with the United Kingdom, France, New Zealand, and Australia in defense of Vietnam against communism. Some of us remember Eisenhower during the remaining several years of his presidency, increasing the number of U.S. military advisors to resistance leader Ngo Dinh Diem's Republic of Vietnam Army, commonly known as the RVNA. 
1961, when John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as president, assignments of U.S. Army personnel to Saigon was routine. Their families would be stationed there as well. But the U.S. presence was still in an advisory capacity, which was as far as the Republican President Eisenhower wanted to take it. Most of us growing up in the 50s and 60s remember the new Democratic president, Kennedy, being the one, starting in 1961, who really began increasing the U.S. military presence in Vietnam. With Democratic President Lyndon Johnson in the immediate aftermath of Kennedy's assassination in 1963, steadily increasing the number of combat troops, equipment, and supplies until the end of Johnson's term early in 1969. Indeed, the ways we use the word Democrat and Republican and the connotations we construe are not always in sync with evolving events. The word Democrat, for example, is frequently used as a synonym for liberal, but when we look at the general approach of the Democrats and the Republicans to the recent national exercise in law, known as impeachment, we see that the Democrats were attempting to be fairly rigid and exact regarding the offenses committed by King Donald Trump while the Republicans were in favor of as liberal and elastic approach as possible concerning such allegations. In other words, the operative attitude was, let's give the man as much latitude as we can. Let's stretch our imaginative mendacity far enough to cloud any semblance of truth and justice. And let's convince folks the American way is to do whatever we want to and never to be held accountable. Many of us, in turn, were shown once again what we have long been trying to change, that all men are not created equal because some of them are much worse than the rest of us. Today is the birthday of Roberta Flack, born in 1937. Biographer Ed Morrow tells us she studied music assiduously as a child, learning to sing and play the piano sufficiently enough to perform the entire score of Handel's Messiah by the time she was 13. Roberta wanted to become an opera star, but was content singing in her church choir. She graduated from Howard University, became a teacher in Washington, D.C., and supplemented her income playing piano in a Georgetown restaurant. By 1972, she had recorded the hit song, The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face, and the next year followed with another hit, that one titled Killing Me Softly with His Song. Today is also the birthday of Boris Pasternak in 1890, of Jimmy Durante in 1893, of Lon Chaney in 1907, of Robert Wagner in 1930, and of Mark Spitz in 1950. For Moreno, Maine, I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Here's to a fine February morning, and happy Valentine's throughout the week. <laughs>